Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Ryan. I am the student ministries director here at LifePoint, which basically means I get to hang out with our amazing middle school and high school students each and every week. I get to serve alongside some really great leaders who constantly and consistently invest in our middle school and high school students. And I'm really excited for what we're gonna be talking about today because we're gonna do something a little bit different with our message. What we're gonna talk about is actually a continuation of what we've been talking about downstairs in our family life environments. Um, some of you are aware, some of you may not be aware, but a lot of stuff happens right below our feet here on Sunday morning. We have kids programs running all morning. We have student ministry programs running all morning. And we have our hugs ministry, which is our ministry for special needs. And a lot goes on downstairs. And what we're going to do today is we are going to bring the conversations that we've been having down there up here. And I'm really excited because in the month of May, our kids and our student ministries has been talking about this concept of never giving up. We've been talking about never giving up on others. We've been talking about never giving up on ourselves. And we've even been talking about never giving up on God and the importance of that. Our, our hugs ministry has been talking about the life of Paul and everything that Paul went through. I mean, talk about somebody who never gave up in life. That, that, was, that was Paul. And I think we can sum up what we've been talking about in our family life environments and what we're going to talk about this morning in one word. And that word is resilience. Resilience. We hear the word resilience, and it's kind of an exciting word. Like, it's a powerful word. We, we hear, be resilient, and we get pretty pumped up. Like, it's an exciting thing. But here's the truth. Being resilient is really hard. It is difficult to be a resilient person. The definition, the dictionary definition of the word resilient is able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Uh, this isn't a official dictionary definition, but Clay Scroggins, he's a pastor, he defines resilience as bouncing back from disruption. Uh, I love that image there. So being a resilient person does not mean that everything is going to go your way and life is going to be perfect. Resilience does not mean that you avoid life's problems and difficulties. In fact, the opposite is true most of the time. Being resilient, it means you have probably gone through some stuff. You've gone through difficult things, but you've come out stronger on the other side. So, it's not the absence of problems. It's actually going through problems and becoming stronger because of them. And the opposite of resilience is, of course, brokenness. It's collapsing under pressure. When something isn't resilient, it breaks easily. It bends and breaks, opposed to bending and not breaking I think one of the greatest modern-day stories of resilience 
happened just about 12 years ago. Many of you will remember this. 12 years ago, on August 5th, 2010, the whole world watched in horror as every news station covered the collapse of the San Jose mine in Chile. Do you, all, do you all remember this? There was 33 men that were trapped 2,300 feet underground. And they were trapped there for 69 days before they were able to be rescued. Talk about going through a difficult time. I mean, I'm sure there were many moments of hopelessness that these miners felt. I mean, they thought they were just going into another day at work, and next thing they know, they're, they're trapped in this crazy circumstance for 69 days. One report that came out at the time of this incident, the report put the chances of rescue and survival at 2%. 2%. That, that, that was the hope that these miners were given to make it out, 2%. And not every news network or article covered this, but faith actually played a really big part in the story of the Chilean miners. Jose Henriquez, he was one of the miners, and many of the other men knew that he was a man of faith. So in this crazy, dire circumstance, they turned to Jose to lead them in times of worship and prayer. These men, they would actually stop every day at 12 p.m. and 6 p.m., and they would pray to God. Even the miners who were not Christians became more and more willing to pray to God and to sing praise songs to God. I even read one article. I, I thought this was really cool. Uh, this article said that at the point of rescue, when, when the miners were finally brought out after 69 days, they actually stopped at the edge of the mine and prayed and thanked God for their rescue. That same article went on to say that 22 out of the 33 men actually accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior in that mind. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. And to this day, when these miners, when they give the account of this event, a lot of them, they refer to the 34th person with them. And that 34th person is, of course, God, their Heavenly Father. I think that is a beautiful picture of resilience. And I think if we kind of hold that, that image, this event in our heads, that will help us kind of understand this topic of resilience. These miners, they were able to have this resilience because they had something so powerful to hold on to. Spoiler alert, we have that same thing. So this is resilience. So I think we have a clear understanding of what resilience is and what resilience is not. Resilience is not avoiding life's problems and difficulties. Resilience is actually going through life's difficulties, but becoming stronger on the other side. Resilience is having hope in something that is so much bigger than whatever the situation is. I don't think I have to stand up here this morning and convince anyone that we live in a broken world. I think we all understand that. I mean, as Brad 
mentioned earlier and prayed for earlier, just look at the news this past week, specifically on Tuesday. We live in a broken and a messy world. Joe says sometimes, uh, we live in a world that is upside down. We live in an upside down world. In the Gospel of John, in the New Testament, Jesus, he's talking to his disciples. And this is actually one of the final things that Jesus says to his disciples. If you kind of flip over in the Bible, you'll see just the very next page in my Bible is Jesus's crucifixion and his death. So one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples is this. He says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. It's a, it's a guarantee. And, and we've all experienced the brokenness and depravity of our world in one way or another, right? I mean, just working in student ministries, I hear countless stories of students going through things that students should never have to go through. And, and, and it breaks my heart. I hear about things going on around students, things that they're experiencing in their communities, in their homes. And listen, church, this is just a reminder. Kids and students, they, they absorb a lot more than you think. They take on a lot. They're like sponges. Maybe for you, your situation right now, maybe it's a sick friend or a family member. Maybe it's an addiction Maybe it's anxiety or some other sort of mental health challenge. Maybe it's a pending divorce. Maybe it's financial struggles. And the list could go on and on. Fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. We all have tribulation. We all have difficulties. We all have trials. And it's in those moments where we experience and feel the brokenness of our world that we have this desire to have resilience. We just want to make it through. So what we're going to talk about today, what I want to look at is what it means to have a resilient faith. It's one thing to be a resilient person in general. There's plenty of emotionally and mentally strong people out there. But having a resilient faith, that's a completely different ballgame. That's something completely different. Because in difficult times, it's really easy to feel the temptation to want to drift away from God and his promises. We just talked about drifting from God in our Hebrew series that we just wrapped up. That's what it was all about. And Joe said this a few weeks ago, and I thought it really applies to what we're talking about today. He said, we must diligently seek to draw near to God to prevent our turning away. Because here's the truth, there's so many things in our world that push us to turn away from God. There are things that we experience that push our faith to its breaking point. Things that make us want to give up on whatever the situation is, and even things at times that make us want to give up on God. Have you been there? Maybe you can relate. So what does it look like to have a resilient faith? Is it even possible to have a resilient faith when our world is just so crazy? And if it is, if it is possible, where do we find that resilience? 
Where is the source of that resilience? There's a lot of questions, and I might not answer them all perfectly today, but I hope to point us in the right direction. Uh, One of my favorite books of the Bible, probably my personal favorite, is this small letter in the New Testament called James. And that's where we're going to be today. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you can make your way to James. Like many of the New Testament letters written to churches or to people groups, I find the book of James very relevant, very practical, very applicable. You don't have to dig too deep below the surface to see some of the core principles of this letter. And the author here, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he's actually talking to a group of believers. And this letter that he's writing, it's all about practical application of the Christian faith. James talks a lot in this book about mobilizing our faith and putting our faith into action. So James is about to dive into that, but before he does, he pens the words that we find at the very beginning of the book in James chapter 1. Before we can live out the Christian faith, we must understand this. James chapter 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And he says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So so before James tells us how to live out the Christian faith, he addresses the universal truth that we all know to be true, and that is we will have difficulty. In my version here, James uses the word trials. And a trial is simply any difficult or challenging circumstance in your life. And this is true for everybody, all right? But believers and non-believers, we will experience trials. But look at what James says to believers about these trials. He says to count it joy, when we come face to face with these trials, with these difficult times. The Greek word here for count it means to consider it so or to lead yourself to believe it. So James here, he's not asking us to be joyful for the trial, for the difficult thing, but James is saying that we can have joy in the trial. Because here's the truth, we make ourselves more or less vulnerable based on how we think about things. Our brain, our mind is a very powerful thing. There was a study that I found that was done over a 30-year period, so a pretty long study. And this study took 600-some children, little children, and followed them as they grew throughout their life. And what they were doing with the study was trying to figure out the difference between the kids who succeeded in life and the kids who didn't succeed in life when they faced virtually very similar circumstances and situations. And what they found in this 30-year study was that the children who succeeded in life, the most resilient children, they had what was called the internal locus of control. 
Sounds so fancy, doesn't it? The internal locus of control. Some of you might remember that from your psychology class. Um, I had to Google it. Uh, but uh, either way, the internal locus of control, it's this thing inside of you that makes you believe that you are truly in control. Not your circumstances, not what's going on around you, but you. You are the one that is in control. And the studies showed that these resilient children, they saw the world as something that they could impact and not the other way around. They saw their future as something that they could determine. And it was, it was all about their perspective. Their success in life hinged on the way that they saw the world. And I think this is what James is saying here in verse 2. He's saying that if we can count it joy, then we can actually have a completely different outlook on life when things get difficult. So James is saying to count it joy when you face trials. Well, why? Like, why in the world should we do that? He answers the question here in verse 3. Verse 3 goes on to say, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness, another fancy word. And this is the concept of training. This is about developing endurance. If any of you are runners here in the room, you understand this concept very well. Uh, the more you run, the more you push yourself, the more that your endurance will grow. Um, my wife, Allie, she's always enjoyed walking and back in the day a little bit, she enjoyed running for exercise. Uh, we have some students here on our student leadership team who they enjoy running for their schools competitively. Um, and I'll just never understand <laughs> people like that. It just doesn't click for me. Um, and, and here's why, here's why. Uh, I think back to my days in youth sports and I think back and when I would make a mistake in practice or in a game, what would the coach make me do? Run, right? Run. So sorry, but I kind of equate running with punishment. Like those two things kind of go hand in hand for me. I'm not really into running for fun. Um, so it is what it is. But the truth is, I, I think a lot of us, getting serious here, I think a lot of us, we view our trials like I view running. We view it as a punishment or strictly a negative thing. But verse 2 here, it, it tells us there's actually a benefit of going through hard times and having resilience and having endurance through them. It strengthens us. It makes us stronger. Going through hard times, when we're believers, when we're following the message of James here, it's not just about surviving it's actually about thriving and growing and becoming better people. So this begs the question, well, what happens when our endurance grows and we have resilience through hard times? Like, what good does that do for us? I mean, none of us just want to go through hard times to go through hard times. Like, that's not, nobody thinks that that's fun. So there's got to be something on the other side of this, right? There's got to be more. Verse 4, James goes on and says, and let steadfastness 
have its full effect, that you, the believer, may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, this is the promise. This is the payoff of persevering through hard times. When we're resilient and steadfastness develops in us, we become perfect and complete. The Greek word here for perfect means complete in all its parts. Specifically, the completeness of Christian character in the journey toward Christ's likeness. That's what we all want, isn't it? To become more like Christ, to, to take a step toward the version of ourselves that God intended us to be. But here's sometimes the scary truth. To, to get there, to get to that version of ourselves, we have to go through difficult things. We can't avoid it. It is impossible to grow apart from challenges. And there's something for you to learn in the midst of those challenges. Now, this is a family life service, our next gen service. So I thought it would be appropriate to bring up the nursery rhyme and children's book. We're going on a bear hunt. Is anybody, is anybody familiar with we're going on a bear hunt? A few head nods. Yeah, yeah. We're going on a bear hunt. And every time that the characters in this book come across an obstacle, come across a challenge, maybe a trial, what do they say? They come to the grass, they come to the mushroom patch, they come to the river, and they say, we can't go over it, we can't go under it, we can't go around it, we got to go through it. We got to go through it. And I think that's a profound message from a nursery rhyme right there. That's what resilience is all about. Resilience is the difference between the trial taking you out and taking you where you want to go. That's what resilience is all about. And God, he is using whatever you're going through right now to get you to where he wants you to be. He's using it to make you stronger for what's next because here's the truth. Jesus said it, James says it, I say it, everybody knows this. We will face hard times. We will. And there will always be something next, but God is using what you're going through right now to make you stronger. So how do we become people of resilience? I could end it right there and we could all walk out feeling good, like, yeah, let's go face our trials, we can do it. Um, but how do we practically have resilience? How do we take what James is saying here and put it into action? Uh, I have three steps that I want us to consider today. The first step is this. Don't avoid life's challenges. I'm going to say something kind of crazy here. Um, and when I say it, I don't want any of you, any of you, to think that I am actually good at this. Um, I'm actually really bad at this. So let's just dream for a second together. All right. What if, what if we looked at life's challenges and life's trials and we said, you complete me? I don't like you. <laughs> You're kind of annoying. You get in the way sometimes, but you get me to where I want to be. 
What if we did that? Because building resilience, it does not happen by wishing or hoping for it. Resilience happens by fighting for it. Building resilience happens by going through some difficult things. So I would encourage you, don't run from difficulty. Embrace it. See it as an opportunity to grow. See it as an opportunity to become who God made you to be. That's the first step. Number two, find hope in God. Find hope in God. Once we embrace the challenges that life has thrown at us, we need something to get us through. So why not, novel idea here, trust the one who has been through it all, right? The verse I read earlier in the book of John actually has more to it. I only read the first half of the verse. The verse in its entirety reads like this. Jesus, again, is speaking to his disciples. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But get this next part. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I think this verse encapsulates the reality that we live in. We live in a broken world. We live in an upside down world. But it also shows us the hope that we can have for the future. And that is the powerful truth that Jesus has overcome it all and Jesus will overcome it all. Amen. Amen. In his book, Get Your Life Back, John Eldridge, he says this. He says, some readers will recall that Jesus used the imagery of a vine and its branches to describe the nature of connection he offers us. The branch is united with the vine and that allows the vine to provide life in all its forms to the branch. Sustenance, strength, immunity, and resilience. You see, being connected to God through a relationship with his son gives us the resilience that we need to make it through life's challenges. So I would encourage you a simple invitation here. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, today would be a great day. And we'll have some people available after the service who would love to talk with you. My last step to take, we've been talking about this a lot around here at LifePoint. Number three, find hope in others. Find hope in others. I know in our family life ministries and kids, students, and hugs, we put a huge emphasis on connection. We believe that we were designed to do life together. We were not created for isolation. We were not made to do this thing on our own. If you think back to the story of the Chilean miners, many men found hope in a very difficult time because of Jose Henriquez and other men of faith who pointed them to God. Last Sunday, uh, Brad Linder, who's on our teaching team here, he was hosting this morning, the guy with the nice beard, you know him. Um, he was speaking to our high schoolers last week, 
And he was talking about this very topic of resilience. Specifically, he was talking about bringing others alongside us as we walk through life. And um, he said something that I thought was really good. Um, so I stole it from his notes after the service, and I'm going to read it for you today. Um, so this is what Brad said last week. He said, what if building resilience isn't just about us and what we put into it? What if resilience is more than picking ourselves up off the ground when we fall? What if the key to having resilience has something to do with the people that we invite in the process with us? What if resilience isn't something you can build yourself? And I think that addresses a problem that is so prevalent in our world today. I'm very, very guilty of this. We think we can do this thing on our own. I feel like for me sometimes, and if anybody in here knows me well, um, I can sometimes tend to think that I need to be a man and I need to do this thing on my own. But here's the truth. That's not how God designed us. That's not how we were wired. We were designed to do life together. A few years back, I heard a pastor use the illustration of trees. And he said this, he said, Picture a tree out in the middle of a field, just standing alone, one single tree. And then picture a storm coming through and completely wiping that tree out, just toppling it over, uprooting it, laying on its side. And then he said, picture that same storm coming through a forest of trees. The trees, they sway, they bend, but they lean on each other. They hold each other up. And not only that, but their roots are deep into the ground and interwoven together. And all those factors make the trees able to withstand the brutality of the storm. And I want to suggest today that I think we're a lot like trees. We need each other. We need each other to lean on. We, we cannot stand alone and expect to withstand the storms that life throws at us. We'll, we'll be knocked down. We'll be toppled over. We need God, but we also need one another to lean on. So as the worship team comes back out, I just want to, I want to dream together one last time. What if we viewed life's challenges as an opportunity to grow? What if we did that? Uh, imagine what this church would look like. Imagine what this community of believers would look like if we saw trials as opportunities for growth. And remember, you, you're in control. You have that internal locus of control. You do. Instead of fighting against the situation, instead of fighting against the pain that you're experiencing, I want to encourage you to fight for the resilience that is being built in you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for everyone here this morning. God, thank you that we are able to gather here this morning. 
this, this weekend we reflect on and praise you for the many men and women who have paid the ultimate price so that we would have the freedom to gather here this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. And I pray this morning, as we are all carrying something with us, some sort of burden, some, some sort of trial, God, I pray that we will be people of resilience. Help us not to run from our problems. God, help us to grow through our problems. God, help us to find hope in you. And God, help us to lean on one another. Lord, I pray that this church will be a church of resilience. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.